Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Yeah, you know Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Are you ready to get down some D&D? I know I am, and I am joined, as I am always joined, by the modest, mysterious, and magnanimous Mad Wizard Merwin. Hey, buddy, what's going on, Sean? I am, I'm doing well. We are recording at an odd time for us, and I think we're, we actually, our blood sugar is up. You know, we're, we're like, we're ready to go. I am. I am totally ready to go, even though I didn't sleep much last night. Yeah. Uh, Sometimes, sometimes the world doesn't conspire in the right way to let a person, a human being sleep. And I tossed and turned and slept for about two hours. So I have coffee in hand as we record on a Monday evening. Nice. So there's a new book, but we'll get to that in a second, right? Yeah, there's a big new announcement. Let's do a small new announcement first. Sure. So Laryl Silverhand's Explorer's Kit. So this is a new little box set of things, bits and pieces. Uh, there's a bunch of dice, two D20s, uh, a D12, a couple of D10s, some, uh, some D8, a D8, some D6s, and a D4. Mm-hmm. There's uh, these illustrated double-sided cards that tell uh, that detail all of Laryl's expert insights on a bunch of different characters and locations from the Forgotten Realms. Mm-hmm. There's a really pretty, durable Feltland box that functions as two dice trays, so you get two dice trays for the for the price of the box. I like that they're using the box as part of the product yeah. instead of just something to throw away. And there's this really nice fold-out double-sided map of the Sword Coast on one side and the City of Waterdeep on the other. Mm-hmm. It's really nice. Like, I like stuff like that. People like bits, right? Right, yeah. I mean, it's if you like dice, there's dice. If you like some adventure stuff, there's some adventure stuff. Uh, if you like little knickknacks that go along with, there's this dice tray. Um, and, and then the map. Hey, who doesn't like maps, right? I, I Right, I'm with you. And plus, those cards are cool if you're playing a game and you want to show off the place, right? Exactly, Normally, that would be a really cool product that we would like to talk more about and highlight and, you know, give our give our thoughts on and how DMs can use them and how players can use them. But then a slightly larger announcement uh, was made earlier today. No, wait, wait. We're going to do that one last because let's talk about the other one first so that we don't just bury this thing underneath all the rest of this. Gotcha. So you wrote another uh, Let's Design an Adventure thing, The Encounters in Three Pillars, right? That's true. So if you're following the D&D Beyond articles, uh, I'm writing a series called Let's Design an Adventure. I think I'm about six uh, articles in now. And the last one that just went up is called Encounters and the Three Pillars. So the previous uh, article, I talked about the basics of an encounter because encounters are the building blocks of adventures. And sometimes what I've noticed when an adventure design fails, it might be because the DM or the creator is focusing too much on story and not really taking the time to build the adventure in a way that is enticing or that's fun for the players. Uh, sometimes it's the opposite, right? Sometimes all the focus goes into building the encounter and the story element isn't carried through uh, the adventure on the back of that of those encounters. So what I wanted to talk about in this encounter or in this article after doing the encounter basics one was to show an example of an, an encounter built through the three pillars. Um, so I talk about doing a strictly combat encounter, talk about creating a strictly exploration encounter or a strictly role-playing encounter and how to, to work with each of those as a building block for your adventure. And I'll give you a preview in the next article. I'm going to talk about combining all three of those and using all three of them to build a single encounter to make fun encounters that 
might be different, might be uh, very involved and, and special for your players. Well, that sounds pretty cool. Yeah. To Just to, to highlight what to think about when you're thinking about um, designing encounters. Think about the information. Think about the goals, the threats, the choices that are made, and then the consequences or potential outcomes of those encounters. And I look at all all of those pillars through that lens. Can I throw a, one more little tidbit of knowledge that uh, I've picked up over the course of time? Sure. I think it's uh, when when you talk about stories, story and encounters, and how like if you don't have one or the other enough then usually they tend to fail. Mm-hmm. Uh, I always think about it that I'm trying to figure out how to put my story inside of the encounter. Mm-hmm. That is the methodology that I tend to use. Like where, where is the story that's going to come out through the play of this encounter? For sure. And how am I going to inform the dungeon master in a way that lets them more easily bring the story out inside of the encounter that's going on? That is absolutely essential. We could even call that the fourth pillar if you, if you so choose. Sure. I mean, I guess that, that that works for me. I always think of that as like the melding, right? Like, mm-hmm. how do I how do I get my sto- how do I get my peanut butter and my chocolate? Yep. All right, we can talk about the big thing now. Now we can talk about the big announcement. You want to? Do you want to do it, Chris? Sure. Uh, drum roll, please. <laughs> the Explorer's Guide to Wildemount or Wildmount. I say Wildemount, but that's just me. I mean, I. I was listening to Matt Mercer talk about it earlier because there's a nice little interview with him and uh, Ty Kenrick uh, about the Explorer's Guide to Wilderman. It's about seven minutes. You can catch it on D&D Beyond. Mm-hmm. So this is the, the new setting book that's coming out. And this setting book is based in and around the Critical Role campaign, the second one, The Mighty Nine, mm-hmm. that's in the world of Exandria. And in a lot of ways, uh, this... I mean, it says, I mean, if you want the boilerplate, it's it's a land of war, betrayal, and swashbuckling adventure. Mm-hmm. But it has a more uh, Eastern, like European Eastern kind of feel to it. Okay. So that, that's what I've, from what I've read and, and, and looked into and whatnot, it's got a lot of that stuff in it. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of like uh, interpersonal conflicts between like baronies and things like that. It's not the the over the top high fantasy that I consider the Forgotten Realms. Mm-hmm. And it's not the magic punk kind of uh, feel and sort of hinting at alternate history of Eberron, right? Mm-hmm. With that that pulp noir um, vein on top of it, that two fisted pulp magazine, mm-hmm. this is more in the vein of Greyhawk, in my opinion. Like it's got that feel to it, right? So, so it, it, there's more conflict between nations, mm-hmm. you know that sort of thing, without having a bunch of arc mages r- running around. So, so maybe in the birthright, the old birthright uh, campaign where it was all about political intrigue and and uh, moving a little in that direction. Well, it's. I, I think it's more like Greyhawk, right? Like, okay. Because uh, it's got that. Uh, to me, Greyhawk feels a lot like the Lord of the Rings, right? Like you, you, mm-hmm. when you're traveling around, it you can't just get places in, instantly, and there are factions, but they're they're more based in in, in inside like that medieval feel mm-hmm. instead of this high magic feel. Gotcha. I think I think that's what this campaign setting, from what I've what I've read and what I've seen and what I've uh, listened to, is, is kind of going for. Okay. So, what's in the book? Cool. Let's talk about it. So there's a treasure trove of new options. So there's subclasses, there's spells, there's magic items, there's monsters, and more. Um, and it's all based on that critical role stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also a thing called Vestiges of Divergence and the magic of Dunamancy. So Dunamancy is a thing that gets talked about a little bit in the in the critical role world in this, in this setting. Mm-hmm. And it, that's the idea that you can manipulate gravity, entropy, and time. And it has a 
spells hinted at like a vacuum blast and okay. like uh, like alter gravity things like that. Well, that's where they're going going with that kind of stuff, and that that's all stuff that's going to be in the book. There's going to be like four, I think, intro adventures, like four four low level adventures in there to get you started. Right. And there's going to be um, a bunch of regional plot seeds in every area. There's like four big regions that that this game goes around, and then there's going to be this thing called the heroic chronicle system. And that's a way to create a character backstory that makes you very much rooted in Wildmount. Mm-hmm. Now, to me, that sounds a lot like life path mechanics for D&D. Mm-hmm. And I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. The cover, I like it. Uh, another one of the cool things I heard about this book that I, that I thought was really neat is uh, Matt Mercer and the Critical Role crew. They went and got a bunch of names of the artists that were like fan artists of Critical Role mm-hmm. over, the cor- over this whole course of time that they've been doing their thing. And they gave those names to wizards. Nice. And Wizards picked up about half of the art in the book is by that community. That, that's great. Right? Yeah, and that's that's something that Acquisitions Incorporated did, right? The Penny Arcade folks um, did very, something very similar. They they gave props to, uh, like, uh, Nurse Normal being one of the people that uh, that was tapped, you know, very famous in the fan community for her art. And she was also brought on to do, you know, a good amount of art for the book. No, that's cool. Like that's 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 a really neat thing. I, I love it that it ends up becoming sort of this community project. In fact, uh, listening to Matt Mercer talk about it and how grateful he was, and how he's even he's even stated like role playing games have gotten him to where he is right now because mm-hmm. I mean, Critical Role is built on the back of Dungeons and Dragons, right? Right. Uh, he's he was very humble in his interview. He's very very uh very magnanimous and very uh, gracious to all of the people that have helped him get where he is. Mm-hmm. And and very excited to have this this opportunity. Yeah. So let me let me hit real quick once again what like a, a bullet point list of what's in the book. There's a Wildemount Gazetteer. There's descriptions of the major factions of Wildemount. There's player options that include uh, three new subclasses, a bunch of new spells, and you know that that uh, heroic chronicle thing that I talked about. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's new magic items, and oh, another one of the neat things about the new magic items is there is sort of like a legacy weapon style uh, mechanic in the game. Okay. You get you get these weapons, and as you level up and hit dramatic moments, mm-hmm. and it's and it was specifically noted to be moments of importance to the character, gotcha. like personal or story beat moments, the weapon will level up them with the characters, and it unlock new abilities until it becomes a very powerful artifact. Oh, that's nice. You know, for uh, for Turn of the Lizard King, we did a, a something like that. It was tied to tier rather than uh, dramatic uh, moments, but I, I love that. Me too. I thought it was really neat when I heard that. I, yeah. I'm very, very excited about this product. I'm probably going to pick it up. Oh yeah. There's no reason I shouldn't. No, I mean it's it's got no matter even whether you're a fan or not, it's going to have some. Sounds like it's going to have some neat things that any DM can use or at least modify for for your own campaigns. And I'm a big fan of adventures of any kind. Uh, I know the people like James Intracasso and James Hake worked on the book, so I'm a big fan of theirs. So you know. I'm going to buy it for all those reasons. Yeah, me too. I'm hopefully just going to pick it up on D&D Beyond because it's like my favorite place to purchase this content these days. Yep. Let me, let, let's get into the other side of this that, that has been hilarious. Oh, I just want to mention real quick, it is the release date is the 17th of March of this year, and the list price is forty nine ninety five. Yep, that's, that's absolutely true. And, oh, the last thing is I checked on Amazon, and this book is, pre-order for this book has put it at number 15, uh, bestseller for books. Yeah, and it's like killing it in other places. Yeah, not for D&D books, not for RPGs, not for fantasy. 
books, all books. And that was before the announcement came out. Yeah. Yeah. Like that was this morning yes. at some point. <laughs> yep. That was after Amazon put it up last night. Is there a, an audience for it? I would say so. I think so. I mean, I can't see how there isn't one. <laughs> right. Exactly. So let's talk about the reaction. Yeah. I want to talk about that because it, it, it I, I mean, it just makes me uh, makes me laugh a little, I guess. Mm -hmm. I am always excited about D&D stuff. Yeah. I just am. Because we do this show, like, it's just a cool new thing to talk about, right? Right. I mean, anything D&D related, even if, if it's not our bread and butter, it's still exciting to us. It's still interesting to us. We still like to consume it and discuss it and analyze it. And this doesn't change. Uh, even though I don't watch Critical Role, I am super excited to see what creators create, right? Because that's, that's my people. Right. Our people are people that create, who make things and talk about things, and that's where I want my headspace to be, always, with creators. And for me personally, I like seeing this kind of bouncing back and forth between pulling something out of what I would call like the D&D &D vault mm -hmm. and then doing something new. Right. Like Ravnica is not my jam, right? But I'm glad that it exists. Mm-hmm. I think it's a cool, cool idea and a cool book, and it uh, appeals to magic players yeah. that might be interested in D&D &D and right. gives them a foothold, and that's a huge audience. And it still has content, even if you have no idea what magic is or have never played magic, I still pull monsters or faction concepts from that book all the time. Yeah, I mean, it's a giant, like, planner city. Mm-hmm. Right. Which means we probably won't see Planescape for a while. Sorry, everybody that loves Planescape. I'm right there with you. But that's right. okay, right? Because like, I'm, I'm very interested in this setting and how, how they produce this book. And then whatever the next thing that they decide to come out with is, if it's be it Dark Sun or whatever, right? Yeah. So, so after, the, after the Acquisitions Incorporated book was announced, there was an immediate pushback of, oh, boo-hoo, they didn't put out Dark Sun Whatever, whatever you wanted to, to see, Spelljammer, Planescape, Dragonlance, Dark Sun. Uh, they didn't do this, but they did this Acquisitions Incorporated book. Matt Mercer on Reddit and then in other places addressed his thoughts. And I just wanted to kind of summarize them because it's, it's very, I think it's very fitting what he said. Absolutely. Go ahead. He, he said, I'm going to paraphrase Matt. He's very excited for this book for himself, for the people that worked on it with him, and for the fans. It's not just for uh, Critical Role fans. It's for D&D fans. As they were creating it, yes, it is set in the world he created, but it can be used by D&D fans regardless. And we've already touched on that. I'm going to go word for word with this because I thought it was what is great. He says, I am also well aware of how much negativity can permeate these spaces regarding myself and the games we play, and that's okay. One could never expect our form of storytelling and gaming to be everyone's cup of tea, and it could very well be that this isn't the book for you. I don't begrudge you that, and I only hope that one day we get a chance to roll some dice at a convention and swap stories about our love of the game. I know for folks this isn't necessarily what they were hoping for the announcement to be, and for that I'm sorry. That's so nice. It is. You know, it's it, it's very nice of him because I would say the same thing, and I did say the same thing, not as nicely as he does. What he then goes to point out, and this is the important one, is that Watsi did not cancel or fail to create something that they were going to in order to get this book out. 
It was exactly the same story with the Acquisitions Incorporated book. All of the work was done by people outside of Wizards. Then Wizards took it, did a small amount with it, and then published it. But there are no books that did not come out or that were going to come out but didn't because of the Explorer's Guide to Wildemount. Mm-hmm. Did not happen. And I can tell you because their 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 design cycle it's pretty constant. Yes. We know exactly about when the next book is going to come. Yep. Um, and it and it's going to be sometime for I'm I can't tell any details, but I've already seen the next like the playtest stuff for the next book. It looks cool. I like it. Yeah, I mean it's there's other stuff coming. There's more stuff coming. There's more stuff coming. I think if the if the acquisitions incorporated book did what they wanted, if this book does what Wizards wants. We will see more along these lines of third-party people doing their own thing and wizards giving it their stamp of approval, maybe giving it an editing pass, but not putting all their resources into these things because they've got their own schedule, they've got their own roadmap, and they are not going to deviate from that roadmap because of other products coming out. Mm-hmm. I have no idea what all these player options are for. Right. Well, I think one you you talked about that. Uh, what was it, Mancy? Uh, Dunamancy. Dunamancy. No, I'm talking about all these player options in the UA book. Oh, for the, like oh. whatever book that is. I have no clue what that is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, who knows? That's exciting, right? That could right. be something. Like, there's been a lot of psionic stuff. We could speculate, and this has nothing to do with what I know. Like, we could speculate that that is all about. We could speculate mm-hmm. that that's Dark Sun, right? Because it's psionics, right? But I have no clue. Right. It's we never know. It'll be fun to find out. That's right. That's that's. I don't know a lot of things that are coming up, and I'm just excited to have something new to play with. To to touch on one other thing, Adventures League. We've we've mentioned last week that we don't talk about Adventures League all the time, but we're going to try to start doing a little bit more. Yes. The, so the the no matter what, when a new resource comes out, the very first question is: Is this going to be legal for Adventures League? And this book at this point, will not be legal for Adventures League, it has been said, for a ton of reasons, not the least of which is it's not clear if, if Watsi owns the IP for this. Yes, because as Sean said, this book was designed mostly outside of the Watsi house. Right. And even, like, they had their editors and people look at it and things like that and touch up the, 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 the manuscript that came in, but... James Castro and James Hake worked on this book, and they're not necess- they're not Watsi staff. They're just freelancers that also helped out. Right. They're exceptional designers, don't get me wrong, but... Sure. I mean, they just went to their, what I like to call the Watsi bench, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, I mean, Matt Mercer probably wrote or at least touched all of this book, mm-hmm. and he's not a Wizards of the Coast employee. Nope. And I'm sure he maintains the rights to all of the stuff that he created. So the Adventures League cannot use it. So there you go. Uh, if if that is the case, I'm not. I don't know this. If I knew this, I wouldn't be able to talk about it. I don't know. But if for everyone that's clamoring, why even bother writing something if it's not Adventures League legal? Well, because not uh, you know one percent of the D and D players play Adventures League. That's true. There's ninety nine percent of the people out there who might like it. I would actually probably venture a guess that there are probably more people who watch. And are fans of Critical Role than play Adventurers League. I would take that and I would multiply it by five. Yeah. 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 So, yes. Um, life isn't just Adventurers League. Uh, life isn't just D&D playing, right? Life is about a lot of different things, a lot of ways to be entertained. And 
I am super excited for this book. I cannot wait to see what people have come up with, what the creators have created, and hopefully I will enjoy it once I read it. And believe me, that was a way more positive take than we were thinking about taking. So yay, yay you, Sean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Dealing, dealing with fans is, can be hard. That, that's a thing. It just is. I feel so bad for Matt. And, and I, I shouldn't have to feel bad for Matt. I don't really feel that bad for Matt. <laughs> well, I, but, you know, here's, here's a dude who, you know, through his own sweat, created this thing that millions of people adore. Yes, and there's a very small percentage of people who aren't happy about it. And and so, you know, you you work hard. You 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 know, you start with nothing and you work your way up and you use the tools that you've learned from other jobs, right? From voice acting, from storytelling. And and you create a thing and to put it out there and to just have people crap all over it. I I just I feel terrible for him. I have to say though, those people can say that, but like you said, it was number 15 after like hours on the Amazon bestseller list. If that's not validation, I don't know what is. Right. And, you know, as a creative type, though, and you can tell just from, you know, when you hear him talk or see his the words he writes that he takes all of this very seriously. He does. He's a he's a huge D&D fan. He takes this stuff super seriously. And, you know, I've, I've met with best-selling writers and, you know, other creators who fans always want them to be accessible, right? Fans want them to, to be open and honest and, and talk about the things, but then they also just are so mean to them and then get mad when they become inaccessible. Well, I mean, we're talking about the privilege of fandom, right? How fans think they have some sort of privilege or 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 write to the to the creators and the work that they make. Yeah. It's not actually true. There's there's I mean it's cool that you buy the stuff and and anybody who's reasonable out there understands this, right? I'm right. I'm a fan of many things. Like I love me some Jim Butcher and Dresden Files. I would never be so presumptuous to be like where the heck's my next book, Jim? Because that's just not right. Right. He's got a life too. Like he does his own things. He's got other book series that he's writing. Like and I'm just yeah. a person that spends some amount of money to purchase that novel when it comes out mm -hmm. that doesn't give me any right to demand anything of that person yeah so i mean i don't know i don't know how to say it any better than that sean like people yeah people who think they have that kind of privilege or or entitlement are are just incorrect yeah I, it's just it's hard as a creator to deal with with that and so that's why i and and the the i mean matt is you know head and shoulders above anything uh that i'm will do or have done and so, you know, to see him going through it, it just, it, it hurts my soul. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, I, I totally understand. Like I'm, I, I get where you're coming from and I feel, I, I don't like seeing that stuff either, but it's just part of the, part of the shtick, right? Yep. And you know, selling thousands and thousands and thousands of copies doesn't hurt. <laughs> that is true. I'm, I'm super stoked that D and D will, you know, get another bit of recognition and another big platform to be uh to be seen on and another setting another new setting yep true so that means in the last in the last couple of years we've actually had two brand new D&D &D settings we've had Ravnica and now Wildemount yep that's pretty neat and an update through Eberron yeah i mean Eberron though but Eberron was what that was the yeah. one right before that was a 2002 I think that was in the uh, setting search was, I'm, I'm guessing. Somebody can correct oh, me. Oh, okay. Yeah. The setting search. Yeah. Right around there. Yeah. So, so 
since 2002, this is the first, these are the, these are two new settings. Mm-hmm. I mean, Ravnica sort of existed, but not re, not in a D&D format. Sure. All right. It's neat. It's neat that we're getting new stuff. I like yep. new stuff. Me too. I, I like old stuff too, but I like, I like new stuff also. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's take a quick break. We're going to do an ad from our sponsor, the lucky die, and then we'll get into our main topic. Up above, you see blood red clouds boiling across the sky. I hear that you're not about to go on an adventure. Uh, you know how Emma likes to have me running around worrying about things. <laughs> you see armies at your back, dwarven, elven, human. You see all the races under your command, and you wickedly smile back at yourself. We can do this the easy way, or we can do this the hard way. And you see this light being shattered into seven different pieces. It's not worth the risk. Just say it's part of my inquisitive nature. I have been following you for a very long time. Do you want a countdown? Three, two, one. Now. And you feel the ball drop out from beneath you. The Lucky Die Podcast is a weekly 5e Dungeons & Dragons actual play podcast. Join our adventure every Monday wherever you download podcasts by searching for The Lucky Die. So, Sean, if, if you didn't know, the Lucky Die is our sponsor, and they, uh, they're they an AP podcast that has o- over 100 episodes now. Wow. A weekly D&D 5E AP. Nice. That's a lot of work, by the way. Yeah, it's it's work just doing our little thing with two people, and, and uh, you know, I more power to anybody that can do it, especially that many episodes. I know. Good job. Plus, with production and, like, sound effects and things like that. Yeah. And it's edited and all that good stuff. Like, wow. that's a lot of work. That is a ton of work. All right, let's get into the main topic. Descent Part 12, Chapter 3. Oh, it's it's a spoilerific look at mm-hmm. Baldur's Gate Descent into Avernus. Mm-hmm. So let me do the recap real quick. Uh, they, were in, they were in Baldur's Gate. They found out that Eltra was sent to Avernus due to some terrible deals. They met Lulu the Hollyfont, uh, who then travels to Avernus with them. They find Elturel. It's being slowly dragged into the River Styx by chains. The companion, that bright light, has turned into a terrible, horrible, dark void. There's a bunch of uh, people in the city that are surviving. And it hasn't been overrun yet because the blood war is raging below. The characters get off of Elturel, go to Fort Knucklebones, and we keep hitting this because it's a very important story beat. Mm-hmm. Because they meet Mad Maggie, who helps them unlock more of Lulu's memories because Lulu is the key to all of this. And Lulu's like, oh, good. We should go find Zariel's sword. Mm-hmm. Um, it's either the path of devils or demons after that. We've covered the demons, and now we're talking devils. But first, we're going to take a stop at the Wandering Emporium. Right, because two... Uh two encounters into the path of devils the characters must go to the emporium so the emporium has its very own section in the book and it's something that is along the path but it could also come into play at any point during the adventure that the characters are in avernus Mm -hmm. so we want to take an extra special look at the wandering emporium i would love to do that all right. So this is a traveling bazaar, and it winds its way across Avernus. Most of the people who work here are indentured servants to Mahadi, who is the master of the Emporium. Now let's talk about Mahadi. Mm-hmm. Mahadi is a Rakshasa, but never presents themselves as a Rakshasa to begin with. They come off looking like a, like a jovial, charismatic, lovely, older man who is always greeting everyone who comes in. Right. Mahadi is very careful about how he goes about his business because he's in the nine hells and he can be permanently slain. That's very important to note. Mm-hmm. Um, also, for playing Mahadi, it's good to know that he is the eyes and ears of Asmodeus. Yeah, this is super important because as someone as morally ambiguous as Mahadi 
can sometimes be hard to play as the DM. So it's good to have that sort of what it what it what are the goals of this creature? And when we're told that Mahadi are the eyes and ears of Asmodeus, we know that that Mahadi serves Asmodeus, and so that can help you give him some role playing gravitas if the characters step outside of the script that the story tells, and you you know what to do from there. So Mahadi's big goal is to acquire souls because mm-hmm. that's what Asmodeus wants is souls. And that's what Mahadi will do. And Mahadi is one of the best deal brokers in the nine hells. Mm-hmm. Also, because he has this relationship with Asmodeus and some special dispensation, he can travel freely between the nine hells and the material plane. Mm-hmm. One step further, aside from being the master of the Emporium, he's also the proprietor of what is known as the infernal rapture. There's one detail about Mahadi that I wanted to bring up because I think it's cool, but it doesn't really have any bearing on the adventure. Mm -hmm. So Mahadi has this special set of uh, soul coins, and these soul coins are all people that he has slain. Mm -hmm. Now, he keeps these soul coins and uses them as advisors Mm -hmm. when he needs to get information and will force them to tell him things. Remember when the United States printed state coins right state quarters a quarter with every state yeah yeah i just get this image of like hanging up on the wall is one of these kind of dioramas with little holes and you pop the soul coin in and it just sits there nicely behind glass and i think it's super neat and it's very useful for for dms again it's just one more way that if something goes wrong or if something goes kind of off script Oh, this the soul in this coin has the answer. So you have to deal with Mahadi to then get the information out of the soul within that coin. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's cool. I just don't know how. So that that is a way it could come into play, right? Mm-hmm. Which is good. Like that. That's that's one option. Thank you, Sean. I was struggling to find one. So Mahadi has they, they kind of cover three different relationships that he has. There is the the relationship with Asmodeus and how we'll make deals. The relationship with Zeriel and the relationship with Lulu. Mm-hmm. So with Asmodeus, it's all about making deals and he's allowed to make um, certain kinds of deals and they give you some options. So like um, the three are magic item resurrection or a tiefling transformation. Mm-hmm. And it's always the cost of their soul. So like you can get a l- rod of lordly might, which only the person who gets it or their direct descendants can attune to. Or, you know, you could pick up any other fairly powerful magic item slash artifact that you might want to throw out there. Right. Um, the resurrection thing is that Asmodeus will send one of his loyal priest followers to cast your res- resurrection on a deceased character. You can make a deal for that. Mm-hmm. For the small, small price of your soul. Just your soul. It's yeah. fine. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't need that thing anyway, right? Um, and then there's the transformation. So Asmodeus will transform you into a tiefling with a direct infernal bloodline to Asmodeus. Mm-hmm. So there you go. And then you just flip your uh, racial traits with tiefling racial traits. Yep. And maybe throw a little bit of uh, like English on that too, because you have a direct bloodline to Asmodeus. Mm-hmm. I, I I can think of like uh, maybe you were even maybe when you throw some uh, hell like firebolts around, they're they're more potent because they're made of hellfire. Yeah. Things like that, whatever it is, right? Like they're Asmodeus Hellfire, so they're a different color and they do a little bit more damage or they stick a little bit more something. You can figure it out. Yep. You know, all of these are super important um, in both in terms of, you know, what a character might want, uh, what a character might need in order to continue this adventure. Yeah. Great for story, great for plot, great for character development, all of these things um, Mahadi can, can give. And you just want to go back when you did your session zero 
and kind of figure out how how hard you want to make this right if if you want to make it more of now we already know that the soul is the payment but yes. you know how badly is mahadi going to try to to uh get get an upper hand right that's something you need to decide ahead of time is it going to be you know mahadi just gives over what he promises or are there even more tricks that he might have to try to not only get the soul but then to uh renegotiate at some point and not quite give everything he promised do you want to be super dark and have hell be what most people think of when they think of hell like just the most horrible place imaginable or do you want to play along with the adventure concept that it is a place that even a mortal can navigate if they're careful. I mean, I like that idea that you can navigate if you're careful. I even like the idea that um, once you've sold your soul, that maybe there's some way for you to get it back. Right. Because that's that's fun, right? Yeah, it's story-wise, that's definitely much more fun. You know, I've I've seen discussions about how different DMs play this different ways, and you just want to be... What's the word I'm looking for? You just want to be you want to be consistent. Consistent is probably true. If if you've set th- this uh this whole setting to be super grim dark and impossible to navigate, the player should know that ahead of time and you should stick with that. If you make it so that it's something that players can get through, don't turn it on them out of nowhere when the kind of social contract has been yes, we're an avernus, but so far, people have stuck with the deals they've made, and they haven't overdone it in terms of that horror or grittiness. Yeah. I mean, they will stick to the to the letter of their deals. Right. The letter. Mm-hmm. And then you can decide how much you want to push on that, that aspect, right? Right. But, like, if they've been signing contracts and you haven't made them make a DC-25 intelligence check to understand it, you know, don't do that now. Yeah, now is not the time. Right. Just keep it consistent. Or maybe now is the time because it's Mahadi and right. you want to you want to make Mahadi seem more dangerous in some way, shape or form. Yep. Then you can absolutely do that. But just give the characters insight checks or or ways to understand that that's what's happening. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, let's talk about a couple more of these relationships, Mahadi and Zeriel. So it's a pretty standard relationship. Mahadi or Zeriel relies on Mahadi to supply the blood war mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. And Mahadi can't directly go against Zeriel. Mm hmm. Because of the contract and the deal that Mahadi has with Asmodeus. But Mahadi will indirectly cause Zeriel problems. Right. Um, so the characters can use Mahadi to get things. He is not restricted from supplying them with the understanding that they're going after Zeriel. He can totally do that. Um, that's what that whole thing is there for. Mm-hmm. He, he is more than willing to help the PCs as long as he's getting what he wants out of it. So then there's Mahadi and Lulu. Mm -hmm. So Lulu was splashed with water from the river sticks and Mahadi was the one that did it. Mm -hmm. Now, when Mahadi sees Lulu, Mahadi gets nervous because Mahadi is worried that Lulu might remember what Mahadi did to, Mm -hmm. to, to her. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, and that's a thing that maybe the player characters can pick up on, right? The characters might be able to pick up on that. That, That's an interesting story beat. Yep, and that might give the characters a little leverage on Mahadi mm-hmm. if they figure that out. Yep, but Lulu, once Mahadi realizes that Lulu doesn't remember who who he is, then then it, then, he, then Mahadi calms down. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's talk about approaching the the Wandering Emporium. How you might want to set this up. So the Wandering Emporium travels in the back of nine giant infernal war machines. 
and it's 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 like those uh those grinders mm-hmm. that uh that we talked about when we were talking about in front of war machines with the uh, the grinder in the front and the the uh wrecking ball in the back yep uh they're huge versions of those mm-hmm. i think those machines are huge anyway yeah uh, except they have like flamethrowers and river stick spitters on them yep uh when the emporium sets up it takes about an hour to set it up and then it's filled with brightly colored tents it's like a festival and then there's a sign at the entrance that says, all are welcome here, no fighting, no spellcasting, no exceptions. And woe be it to those who decide to break that rule. Yeah. There's a lot of not nice people in this place. Mm-hmm. And they will stomp you. Right. I mean, Mahadi has an army. Yeah. And what I would do as the DM is make sure that sign is read and understood. And you always get the one player who has to test. Oh, no spellcasting. I cast Mage Hand. If you want to be consistent and you want Mahadi to have that power that he does have in the story, everyone comes out and beats that character down. Mm-hmm. In some way, shape, or form. Right. It doesn't have to kill them, but just make them understand that the they don't have any power here. I mean, they don't have any personal power that they can wield here like a club. Exactly. Exactly. And that will help with the understanding of the situation that they're in when they come here. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing is that Mahadi will greet all visitors when they show up, and then he will very much show off and infer that people should go to the Infernal Rapture, which is his place. Mm-hmm. So it's fascinating. It's a demiplane. It's like the only place in the Nine Hells, really, that you can go to, and you're not actually in the Nine Hells. You can do some things that you can't normally do. True. Uh, in order to enter, you actually have to sign a contract. And the contract is very simple. There's not too much about it that is like duplicitous. It just says that you must pay for everything that you consume and all services uh, rendered before leaving. Mm-hmm. Now that can get sticky, right? right? But as long as as long as you're you were up front with your characters, the players beforehand, and you're playing it that way the entire time, then they'll kind of know what to expect from that idea. Yep. Uh, otherwise, you can't go in there. That's mm-hmm. that's just the that's the law. Um, every servant in there is under a gate, a geese to provide the best possible service and be happy. That's terrifying. Yes. Um, and here's, here's what you can get there. You can, you can eat food, you can get dining services and a full meal equals one soul coin. Mm -hmm. And for once, finally, you can get delicious food because everywhere else in the nine hells, it tastes like garbage. Right. Uh, and they're also spa services. Now, if you buy dining services, then you get the light amenities included, like a massage, like foot, back, full body, whatever. Right. Um, but if you want specialty services, they cost additional soul coins, things like extending your life, mm-hmm. things like that. Yes. So you can have a lot of fun with this, uh, a lot of horrible fun with this. And at the at the low cost of one soul coin, uh, you get your Heroes Feast. Yes, yes, you can. That's There you go. That's all. And I mean, Heroes Feasts are great, right? Well, yeah. Who doesn't love a Heroes Feast? Mm-hmm. Um, all right, let me let me uh, hit some of these other ones. So there's a place called Fire Snake Forge here. It's run by three salamanders, Rash, Skids, and Slag. These people will repair war machines for you. It costs 50 gold pieces per hit point. They also have their own war machine, which splits into three war machines, the three little bike ones. It's pretty neat. Mm-hmm. Um, every person in this, except for one that they describe, owes Mahadi in some way, shape, or form. Right. And Mahadi is hiding them after they escape from Bell's Forge because they're salamanders and they're smiths. It's, it's pretty neat. Mm-hmm. Bernie the Barber. This is a cheerful, well-kept calistrate woman, except they're not a woman, they're a dragon. Right. Yeah, that's the thing. And they're a barber as in a shave, haircut, and the stitch-up kind of barber, like the Wild West barber. Yep, like the with the red pole. Mm-hmm. Uh, we will give you a haircut and stitch you up. 
Yeah. I mean, you need that arm off? No problem. Mm-hmm. Um, but they are a spy for Bahamut, um, mm-hmm. and they're spying on Tiamat's followers, and they're looking for Arkan the Cruel, which, right. for those who don't know, Arkan the Cruel is, uh, if I remember correctly, Joe Manganiello's character that has true. the hand of Vecna. Very, very true. Mm-hmm. Um, this character also has a ton of blessings, which let them do some interesting things like teleport around and just show up in the wandering emporium whenever they feel like. Also, uh, about a, about three about a minute after you've met this person and you've walked away from them, you don't remember them. Mm-hmm. It makes it for a very good spy, right? Very good, and also someone who, if the characters are in dire straits and they are good, uh, Bernie can help them out. Mm-hmm. They will heal good line characters. Also, they will never accept a soul coin. Right. I like from here to Avernus. That's another shop. Uh, Fahet Allah uh, is an Amnizu, and what they do is they have impact couriers and spellcasting services for transmitting messages. This is basically the postal office, right? Mm-hmm. They are also a couple of other things. They're a soul coin exchanger. They will uh, trade 100 gold pieces for a soul coin. They will not sell soul coins, though, Right. from what I, from what I read. Um, they will also serve as a notary for infernal contracts. So you can pay them a soul coin to get your, uh, your contract notarized so it's more legal, which is, which is hilarious. Yeah. Also, if you're making a deal for a celestial soul, they will only do it for 10 soul coins. Mm-hmm. Paying for shipping is uh, for five pounds or less, it's one soul coin. For up to 50 pounds, it's two soul coins. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. Uh, remember how we talked about demon Ikor, Sean? I do. Uh, there's a place called Ikor's Away. Of course there is. I mean, I love some of these names, man. <laughs> so there's a crazy mage there named Eliak, and he buys and sells Demon Iker. And unfortunately, he has used Demon Iker so much that uh, it has gotten on his hands and on his head. So instead of a regular arm, he has tentacle arms that give him an extra five feet of reach, and, so, and then there are tentacly fingers at the end of each arm. And his ears, unfortunately, uh, grew wings and flew away. So he's deaf. <laughs> Uh, he's very good at reading lips, though. Yeah, which is why you always wash your hands before you touch your face. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, he will sell Demon Icor for a, uh, a flask for 100 gold pieces and will buy a flask for 25. Yep. And he's always conducting Icor experiments that never quite seem to work right. So he can be used in a variety of ways in your campaign, kind of as comedy, as as horror or as someone who, if you actually need help with something, he is a mage, so he might be able to help you, but it may not work out like you were hoping. Very true. Uh, last place is Zenith's Lava Farm. So Zenith is a hobgoblin warlord, a very proud, mighty warrior who made a deal with Mahadi at one point in time. And then later in life, he was about to get offered a, a, a gig fighting on the plains of Gehenna. Mm-hmm. And Mahadi was like, nah, you come work for me. And then he yep. pulled that poor hobgoblin warlord who made a bad deal. And now he's a, he's a larva farmer, like a, mm. a Yugoloth y- larva farmer. Yeah. He's not very happy about that. No, he's not. And in fact, probably if you as the character go see him, he will probably try to hire you to assassinate Mahadi. He'll even offer you nine soul coins for it. Yeah, and the, but the, the sad part is that Mahadi knows this. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm sure he's probably hired dozens of people to try to kill Mahadi, and Mahadi knows it's coming, so he just kind of laughs it off. Yep, I mean, his whole shtick is selling larva for soul coins, and whenever he gets enough, he just tries to hire somebody to kill Mahadi. Yeah. And Mahadi thinks it's hilarious. Right. It's good stuff. Yeah, it's a great trap for your characters to do all the scheming and think they're going to get away with it and just have Mahadi go, oh, Huh, did Zenith hire you? 
Yeah, uh, that was quick. <laughs> it only took him only took him twenty minutes. Huh. That's the Wandering Emporium. There's tons of opportunity here for lots of fun role playing encounters for uh, s- some amount of um, mischief to be made for opportunities to to buy services because at the at the forge you can buy whatever right like there's every every pretty much uh, standard item in in the uh, book is there mm-hmm. in fact you can pretty much buy anything that's in the book in the player's handbook in in this emporium right and and it's great as a wild card right it's great to use for whatever you need it if the characters need help there's the emporium if they think they're doing too well or if they're getting a little ahead of themselves it could show up to their detriment yep um, there's the emporium yeah. <laughs> so it's you know it's a great tool for you to use so as a dm be very familiar with it all right uh next time we will get back to the path of devils yes we will well with that thank you everybody so much for listening let me do some uh patreon shout outs i'm going to go through the royal court uh craig just craig the lord of one name eileen barnes the duchess of pandas talking game games richard wyatt the royal airship captain jared rasher the scribe of mmp jim likes games the royal merchant andrew dacey the the uh warden of whiskeys uh eric bonds the where uh the duke of gators and the lord of beefness todd crapper the prophet of probability schmitty the keeper of the labyrinth kevin lovecraft the royal beard pk sullivan the queen's royal rocketeer john c lemay the guard at the end of the world john carney our evil necromancer christopher gray our spy master mike dinos the uh marshal of mark uh jesse edmund the royal doctor brian kurtz the royal doctor of physic uh andy olson the duke of dice merrick blackman the royal D reviewer because we have to have two different two different reviewers and scribes that's important sure. mm-hmm. uh rob abrazado the gauntlet of the queen a gm gerrymander the lord of the slack room uh the lord of the after show that's right and toby senate the baron of britannia and you know, Sean, um, if if you want a shout out like that, you can just become a patron of Misdirected Mark Productions and Down with D. I mean, the link is on the website, and for two dollars a month, you can get that that shout out like you just heard. Yep. Also, for four dollars a month, you get a shout out, but you also get to see our show notes and you get access to our Slack room where you can chat with us about what we talk about. Hmm. I wish more people would come chat with us in the Slack room. Yeah. No kidding. If we're there. You can just you just message us. I'm always on Slack waiting to be tagged. Mm-hmm. But uh, anyway, for, but for just $1 a month, Chris, for just $1 a month, you get to hear us talk about more topics in our sneak attack segment. You know, for that $1, aside from the sneak attack four times a month, you get the after show from Misdirected Mark one mm-hmm. four times a month, which is anything. It could be anything, anything from us being ridiculous and, and silly to being very serious about something. And you get, if you want comedy, you get the uh, pandas talking games, bonus outtakes. So that's like 12 shows a month for $1. Yep. You know, if you can't help us monetarily, but you want to give us a boost, you can do so with some sort of review somewhere. Apple podcast works or anywhere on any social media. If you could just talk about the show, what you like, what you didn't point people in our direction to see if it might be something that they're interested in. So Sean, where can we find you on the internet? Uh, the best place to find me is on Twitter at Sean Merwin or on the uh, Down With D&D part of the Misdirected Mark forums. Or Slack. Slack. Or Slack. Yeah, Slack too. So you can catch me at the Light 101 on Twitter. Um, you can also hit the network at Misdirected Mark on Twitter. We already mentioned the other places. Um, there's the website too. You leave comments there. We'll see them. We always get them. Um, you know, if you want to catch other great content like this gaming content you can just go to our website you can catch our twitch channel which has got a bunch of shows on it there's all these other podcasts also on that website uh, one of those podcasts is called she's a super geek which is our any nominated actual play rpg podcast that highlights women as game masters you can join them every other tuesday for lots of different role-playing games and guests 
they're playing Descent into Midnight right now, which is a game all about being underwater and characters underwater. Nice. Down with the Indie is a misdirected Mark production, the media arm of Encoded Design. So, Sean, what are we going to do now? We're going to go kill some monsters. Get down with the Indie. Yeah, you know me. Get down with the Indie. Yeah, you know me. Get down with the Indie. Yeah, you know me. Get down with the Indie. Get down with the Indie. Yeah, you know me. Get down with the Indie. Yeah, you know me. I'm down with the Indie. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with the Indie?